spinning back to the open side. Karim Betjev. Off the here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Betjev. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive. We do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch. And tonight we have an action-packed episode on the New South Wales Waratahs. Well, let's start things off. Mitch, we had a cracking weekend. Three days. You particularly had three days out at the Sydney Sevens. Uh, Summarise your experience in about one sentence, mate. <laughs> one sentence. Cracking weekend. I'll say yeah, that. Good. That is a lots short, of rugby. Sharp sentence. Yeah, lots of rugby. Mate. Did you find by the end that the matches were becoming a bit of a blur for you? Uh, yes and no. Like I think, uh, like there were so many of them, and particularly like the the lower sort of placings were a bit of a blur. And those some of those games, I sort of tended to, uh, like not lose interest, but sort of drift out of like focusing on them. But as the weekend wore on, the games got bigger and better. So particularly like the cup finals and the mm. the quarterfinals and the semifinals, those games were really good. They were really yep. exciting. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to talk more about that in a little bit, but why don't we run through the um, what we're doing in the episode today. So to begin with, you're going to be listening to this maybe on a Wednesday, Thursday or Friday this week. On Monday, we released an exclusive interview with the Waratahs assistant coach, assistant coach, Jason Gilmore. So I had a really good chat about half an hour long with him where he gave a lot of excellent insight into the Waratahs reflections on 2022 season and hopes and kind of aspirations and insight into their preparations and desires for 2023. So go and check that out. Uh, Wherever you get your podcast from, it's all there. Now for tonight, we are going to be doing a Who Am I segment very soon, where I'm going to be getting Mitch to basically figure out who it is that I'm giving him some hints to. And you get to play along at home, in the car, at work, wherever you are. If you can get it before Mitch, you need to tweet at us or respond to us on Facebook or Instagram and just tell Mitch that you're better than him. Okay. So make sure you do that. (laughs) Make sure you do that. And if you don't get in there faster than him, don't say anything. All right. Um, And after we've done that, are we going to do the, are we going to do the, the answer at the end of the pod or will they find out the answer in the The, segment? They'll find out the answer in a segment. So it'll be, who am I? And you've got to say it out loud as quickly as you can based upon the The information that I drip feed you. And then by the end, if you don't get it, I'll give you the answer. Okay. So there's that. Um, We'll then do a quick Sydney Sevens recap because Mitch went Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the Sevens competition that was on in Sydney at Allianz Stadium this weekend. I was only able to make it on a Sunday. We'll then show a few videos and chat a little bit about Eddie Jones's 40 minute presser that went, uh, that occurred today on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday this week. So that'll be great to check out before we dive deep into the Waratahs preview for 2023. So Mitch, is there anything else that we need to cover or are you happy if we jump into the, who am I? Let's, uh, let's get into it. I'm excited. Brilliant, mate. Okay, so like I said, the way this works is I'll drip feed a bit of information, kind of like this happens at Trivia, if you've been to that, at the pub. Mm -hmm. And when you're ready, just go, Mitch, and then I'll pause and you can say who you think it is. I'm going to give you two guesses. Do I have a certain number of guesses? 
two, yeah, two. two, yeah, two guesses. Um, okay. And yeah. so if you don't get the second one correct, you're gone skis. All right. So okay. here we go. Yep. Who am I? Born in September of 1979. I went to school in Sydney playing in the first 15 from years 10 to 12 and the Australian schoolboys in years 11 and 12. I made my Super Rugby debut in 1999 for the Waratahs against the Brumbies, making my test debut that year against England on the spring tour. I captained the Wallabies three times and won the John Eels medal for best and fairest in the 2003 World Cup. All right, I'm going to pause there. Who do you think? Okay. Give me one guess at this point. Oh, geez. Is this is a Waratahs player, I'm thinking, since it's a Waratahs podcast? Yeah. I'll give you that. Cool, cool, yep. Cool, cool. Yep. Um, ooh, see, the, the dates have thrown me a bit. Um, I was going to say, I don't, I think he's too young for this, but I'll say Dave Dennis. He is too young. He is too young, yes, but that okay. is a good shout, okay? So think a little bit older. So if he was born in 1979, he'd be about 40, uh, 30 plus 22. Okay. Yeah. I thought, early, I thought that 50s. was going to be my... Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So cool. I'll keep going. We're kind of getting into the last couple of sentences, last, last couple of hints that I have available for you, okay? So if you don't get it after this bit, then that's okay. The crowd wins. Here we go. <laughs> A current member of Rugby Australia, during my 10-year international career, I competed with George Smith for the coveted Sevens jersey in the... Okay, Mitch, yeah, I got it. (laughs) Who is it? It's Phil Wall. Well done, my friend. Well done. I would have been very sad. I thought Phil Wall had captained the Wallabies more than three times. No, only three. Wow, okay. Yeah, well, that's Because I know he was the Waratahs captain for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you think about it, he's playing in Gregan's era. So Gregan was a captain for the vast majority yeah. of his time in the Wallabies. Um, so it was good yeah, fun. That's anyway, what, that's well what threw me. That's that's what threw me. I thought like I thought he captained the Wallabies a fair bit more. Um, so, yeah. But interesting. That was a good one. That was good fun. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. So well done. You got it, my friend. And for now, we can jump on into the Sydney Sevens competition. So... Um, like I said, we were both able to head out there for the weekend. Our experience was a little bit different from the punter because we were trying to put a little bit of media out there, particularly doing a few videos of post-match um, interviews with players and coaches. So well done to uh, Mitch and particularly his brother, Tim, as well, who came out on the Saturday to help us out. So thanks, Tim. Um, mm-hmm. But yep. I wanted to just get your initial thoughts, Mitch, on the experience and on the weekend as a whole, considering you were there for the whole three days. Yeah, look, uh, this this year the tournament was hosted at the new Allianz Stadium, and so I think that in itself was just a bit of a winner. That the stadium is so well designed and so well built that any seat in the house is a good seat. I mean, we we were lucky enough to be in the in the press box, so we were up top and had a great view from where we were sitting. Um, it was very hot over the weekend as well, so for all the punters that did attend the rugby over the weekend and sat in the stands, like I take my hat off to you because I was sweating the the few times that we sort of just went down into the shoot to get the interviews, but um, then got to sit in, in the, the air con upstairs, which was nice and lovely. But um, yeah, I, it was, it was a really good uh, atmosphere, particularly day two, day one being a Friday was 
you know, understandably not as many people there in attendance. Um, Australia played three games that day. So the girls played twice and the men played once. Um, day two, the Saturday, really things started to kick, kick off and a lot of people turned up and the atmosphere was really ramped up and it was really fun that day. Uh, day three, unfortunately, both Australian teams did get kicked out in the quarterfinals at the end of day one, so uh, day two. So that meant that there wasn't as much on the line for the Aussie teams. And I do wonder if that sort of bought into why some people chose not to maybe attend on day three. Yep. Yeah, so I only was able to make it for the Sunday because I had work and other things on for the Friday, Saturday. And my experience was maybe a little different um, insofar as I hadn't ever been to a sevens competition before. Had you been to sevens previously? Yeah, I've been to a few Sydney sevens and yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. So I didn't know what to expect. And um, one of the challenges was you always hear these uh, semi-mythical um, retellings of stories and adventures that are almost like the hangover movie um, in, in the quality mm -hmm. and the adventure and the crazy stories that happen at Sevens. And I guess I didn't know how that would translate to Sydney on a Sunday uh, in hot weather when both Australian teams had been knocked out of finals contention. And so mm. in some ways, up until about three o'clock in the afternoon, things seemed to be relatively quiet. Um, the crowd seemed to go crazy whenever Fiji and Kenya were playing. But outside of those two yep. really, really vocal supporter bases, um, the crowd was fairly relaxed until the early afternoon when the numbers began to grow and people had had the opportunity to... Um, how should we say, celebrate and get on the cans a little bit mm -hmm. more. And and the party atmosphere just started to ramp up a lot more. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. It's, things started off slow in terms of my, um, I'm not going to say enjoyment, but uh, the building of the excitement uh, and the energy within the venue. But by the time kind of 3, 4, 5 p.m., wrapped around on the both the Saturday and the Sunday from when I heard things were going crazy crowd was right into it and it's really really yep. good atmosphere at the stadium yeah and that's right and like that again I think that comes down to the draw as well like on uh, Sunday morning when we got there early like they those were the playoffs for like 10th 12th 9th spot so it wasn't necessarily the big games and so I think because the final was played at 8.30 p.m. that night, a lot of people chose to arrive at like midday. Um, and once the stadium did start to fill, the atmosphere did definitely get in there. Uh, I, I, that's one thing that has been, as you mentioned, that like the Fijian fans, that's one thing that I can remember from previous Sydney Sevens as well is there's so much support for the Fijians because they play so well uh, that whenever, the, whenever Fiji plays, the stadium fills. I can remember in 2019, I think it was, the last time it was in, um, in Sydney, it was hosted out at Combank at, at Parramatta at that stadium. And we were just fans then. We went um, on the final day. And yeah, same sort of thing. When Fiji played, the stadium filled. And when it when they, when they the next game came on, it emptied. And so it was just this sort of like tide of people coming in and out of the stadium for the Fijian games. I think being back at Allianz Stadium this year was a good thing. They, it seemed like there were more Australian fans in attendance. There was a lot of more like Kiwi fans and South African fans as well. So it seemed like there was more people willing to travel to Allianz and maybe going out back to Parramatta. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great, it was a great spectacle in terms of on the field. Like there was a lot of good rugby being played across the three days. Um, should we talk briefly around the results and sort of what we thought of? Yeah. So performance? 
So we'll just quickly say that New Zealand took out both the men and women's uh, sides of the competition. So congratulations to both those teams. Um, the both the men and the women for the Aussie sevens would have been really disappointed with the results across the whole of the weekend. The pool stages were solid with each team, um, with the women winning all three games. Did the men win two, lose one, or did they win all three? They lost. Uh, they won all three. They lost one or both three. teams. Yep. So both. Men's and women won their pool games and then lost their quarterfinals. Both against France as well in some pretty challenging um, circumstances as well. And so what we found was that the yes. performances of both teams come the Sunday when they were kind of doing the playoffs for fifth place. Um, the first game for both teams kind of dripped quite signif- dropped quite significantly in terms of the uh, quality of the execution and the quality of performance that they put out in the field. Um, and then the second match for the Wallaroos against, sorry, not the Wallaroos, the, the women against the Great Britain team, um, they mm-hmm. dominated and performed really, really well within that match, which is fantastic. Um, Charlotte Kaslick, yep. I believe, came the top ever try scorer in women's sevens Aussie history, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, so well done, Charlotte. You're an absolute hero and legend of the game. And hopefully there'll be many, many more with her re-signing on for another few years as well for uh, Aussie yeah. rugby. Um, but then the men uh, obviously went down quite significantly, 25 to 10 or something along those lines against Samoa in the fi- in their final yeah. game. 24-10 in their final game, which uh, ended with a bit of controversy with a red card and a yellow card with a bit of a fracas that happened right at the end of the game. A few fisticuffs thrown. Yeah. I think I will say like um, one thing that we've come to appreciate from this tournament, and, and uh, I think you sit with me on this, is just the uh, cutthroat nature of sevens. Like you, you only make one mistake, you fall off a tackle slightly, or you don't wrap the ball up in a tackle, and they get the offload away, and it's seven points on the board. And it can only take one try to like a lot of these games are really tight. It only takes one try to concede and not be able to get your hands back on the ball for a long period of time. We, uh, we spoke to Henry Patterson, I think it was after the quarterfinal loss, um, and he was he had a bit of a sloppy game that, that game. He dropped a fair few balls, and he was just saying, like, that's one thing in this format that you have to be on your game all the time, and you drop one or two balls, and you might not get your hands back on the pill for another uh, eight or nine minutes. Like, that's – and that's a long time in sevens. Uh, mm-hmm. So – uh, again, and with the Aussie sides too, they got coming into the tournament. Nick Maloof, their captain, was injured, so wasn't taking part. Henry Hutchinson was stand was stepping in as captain, and he did a great job in the pool stages. And they looked really strong, and they looked really dominant in those games. But then they lost him in the quarterfinal quite early. Or might have even been in the last pool game that he got injured. In the last pool he game, his yep. knee, and yep. yeah, so he wasn't. They they then they really looked like they they were a bit lost without their captains out there and their leaders stepping mm. up. So mm. um, overall, not a great tournament for the Aussies. And you could tell from the players getting the opportunity to interview them after the game that they were disappointed. They weren't able to put in a good performance in front of their um, home fans and friends and family in the crowd. But um, the coaches sort of chose to take the the positive element and was sort of saying, well, now we've got the opportunity to sort of test a few new players and bring some players in that might not have got as many minutes as, as had we been pushing for like a final. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely understood. I mean, them walking down the tunnels after the games, they were absolutely filthy and did not want to talk. So a uh, huge appreciation for those coaches and players who did take the opportunity to um, come by and have a chat. Now, one thing we do really want to do is plug 
the fact that uh, Mitch, Tim, and myself to a degree, but mostly Mitch, um, did a lot of really hard work in getting uh, post-match press interviews with um, both players and coaches up on our social media platforms, particularly go to Instagram and Facebook because you can get the longer versions there. Um, If you are somebody using Twitter... Oh, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. So you can go to Twitter and get, get maybe some shorter versions with links to Facebook Facebook, and then mm. go to Facebook for the longer versions. But please go take a look. Um, some of the insights that the coaches gave, um, Tim Walsh particularly was fantastic with the, um, the candid and raw nature of his interviews, showing his emotions, but it's still at the same time being uh, controlled and able to be uh, reflective and analytical in those moments. So I was really, really impressed with him. Yeah, so yeah, do go and have a look at those. And uh, I might get around to it at some point over the weekend. I might try and um, put together a highlights clip for YouTube as well. So do check out YouTube and you might be able to see a few highlights, maybe some of just interviews with the players. So Mm. we've got interviews with both players and um, coaches. So yeah, do get amongst that and have a look because it's a bit of a rare bit of insight that we don't always get as fans being able to hear from the players straight after games. Um, and the variety of players. We often hear from the captains, but we don't necessarily hear from the rest of the players and the coaches. So it was a good little bit of insight there into kind of the background of sevens. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Well, mate, with that done, why don't we jump on into the Eddie Jones presser and you take over the reins, my friend. Yeah. So uh, I just need to get this tab back up because it's Playing around, yeah. Here we go. So let's um. So for those who weren't aware, Eddie Jones did his first official media presentation today, uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, uh, where he he did it. It goes for forty eight minutes. So, uh, we might send a link out on our socials, or if you just Google, um, uh, Eddie Jones interview it's, should come up on, on well. social media. It's on YouTube. Yeah, forty eight minutes. It, it it's really in depth. There is a lot of things that he says there, but we've got a, a we've cut a few clips together of. Some of the things that we think are significant and what it sort of gives it insight into what Eddie's going to bring as well of his coach. So let's um, let's have a look at that. It's up to you. Um, you've had a lot of people saying, welcome home. But when you walk in here, does it actually like really feel like home? Yeah, no, it definitely does. You know, we were just Mark and Glenn and Gary and I were talking out there and we've got the fourth fella, a red-headed one, uh, Greg, who played on the wing. He could play a bit... Uh, you know, we left here in 1977, and to come back here now it's pretty special. Um, you know, good feeling. Uh, yeah, no, it is. It's it's quite emotional. Now, I just wanted to highlight that clip, particularly for Wallabies fans, that it's very rare to see a bit of an emotional Eddie Jones. We we come to expect him to be of that sort of yeah, hard nosed coach who's not not afraid to, to make fun at journos and there there is a lot of making fun of journos in this interview so if you are after some of eddie jones's zinging one-liners do give that a uh, give that a watch because he's got some absolute howlers in there but one thing i wanted to say as a wallabies fan that passion that he shows and the emotion that he was nearly brought to tears just by being back as a wallabies coach goes to show that this is more than just an appointment for eddie this is more than just another chance at coaching an international team. He has something to prove here. And this is a really exciting thing for Australian fans and something different than maybe if he was coaching, you know, the USA or Georgia or some of the other options that were sort of talked about. Did you have anything you wanted to say around that or should we move on to the next clip? 
No, I think it also just adding on to that the the special nature that of that moment that I think added to the emotions for Eddie were the fact that I mean that's a school that he's grown up with playing alongside his best mates, including the Ellers, um, and the opportunity to kind of come back to where his whole career and life trajectory began would have been really really moving and significant for him, um, and so it was it was just really nice to see. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that is cynical about it all being a PA. PR stunt and the like, um, them heading back to Madrigal High. But at the same time, two things can be true at the one time. Like it can be good PR, mm-hmm. but also be really meaningful at the same time. So yeah, That's good right. on him. And, and I think he showed that, him. didn't he? Yep. Yep, definitely. Keen to see him take that emotions forward. All right, let's move into the next clip. Because we're not short of talented players here. There's plenty of talented players, but talent doesn't win World Cups. What wins World Cups and wins the hearts of people are teams that play with that same spirit the Ellers had about being aggressive, playing with a certain panache. That doesn't mean you run with the ball all the time because kicking can be as, as artistic as, as running the ball, but we want to play with a certain panache. We want to play tough. So at the end of games, when those tight games, you win those tight games by one or two points, and that's the traditional Australian digger spirit. We want that in the team. And that's the opportunity for this group of players this year. You know? What role can the rugby community play? How can they get involved in being part of the journey to not only this World Cup, but the next one? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, I reckon we've got to draw a line in the sand of where we've been and work out where we want to go and have that picture in our head. And I've just told you the sort of side we want to be. And then everyone needs to roll their sleeves up. So if you're cooking sausages down at Willoughby number eight, or you're, you're thinking about getting a stand subscription, do it. We need people to want to support rugby. You know, ideally, imagine the first round of Super Rugby, and we've got record crowds at every game. You know, what sort of message does that send to the rugby community about Australian rugby being revitalised again? But we can't do it by ourselves. The team will do their bit, but we need everyone in the rugby community to to find a bit more, and they can. And there's plenty of people who, who love rugby when the Wallabies win. So we're going to win, but we need them to, to maybe help start, start it a little bit more. So we need everyone to do their bit in rugby. Yeah, no, I wanted to throw that little clip in the end there because, I mean, we've, we've been, first of all, get involved. That's our hashtag. So Ooh, you're welcome yeah. for taking that, Nick. Uh, but just, it, it, it lights your heart up a bit, doesn't it? It's the warm and fuzzy of, of what what is coming that there is a, a new generation of rugby there's um a lot to be looking forward to as wallabies fans and and what eddie highlights there is i think different to something that we've really heard of from coaches in the past particularly wallabies coaches in the last era no no disrespect to dave or um to checker or any of the previous coaches we've had but you don't necessarily hear what he's saying there that it doesn't just take talent to win world cups it, it takes passion and and, and some of the things that Eddie Jones and gives us an insight into what Eddie Jones is actually going to start doing, um, building that culture and building a team that is not necessarily just the best athletes that are available in, in Australian rugby or around the world, but that he's going to instill a passion in them that they need and will light that fire for them to succeed at, at the top of the game. Yeah, look, it's really good messaging because they're using the 
the chronology of the next few years of the World Cup in 2023. Sorry, my dog is just going crazy right now for anybody that's watching this. So <laughs> that's why I've had to keep like ducking away. He's he's right here if people <laughs> want to say hello to my dog. Hello. Um, <laughs> so the, the chronology is working out. You've got the World Cup this year. You've got 2025 for the Lions and then 2027 for the next World Cup. All this within Eddie Eddie's five-year tenure. Okay, so so great. That works out well. Um, but the 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 challenge is for this to be something that's more than just talk right and the idea of talking about like passion being a key part of the um, national setup and the world set up and the way in which people need to engage with rugby i mean wasn't that one of the things that checker got absolutely smashed for was the nature of his passion and the fact that he um cared so much that it uh, spilled out into other areas. So I wonder if Eddie <laughs> is going to be a little bit more um, experienced in the way in which he channels that energy and that passion and that drive. And we may not see as many broken doors or things like that, but we might well see <laughs> a few more in this stand, uh, supposed behind the scenes video that might well be coming out or series that might be coming out. Um, a little bit of... Uh, Strong exhortations towards the players. A few, a few, a few moments of just ripping into them and calling them to better things in the uniquely Eddie way that he can. Oh, look, I, I'm happy with any of that as long as we don't see him getting into fisticuffs with with uh, fans after games again, like at the SCG last year. Which I don't, Mate, I'd I love don't, it. I don't honestly, I, would love I don't it. think that'll happen. I mean, I would, I would love it if some Kiwi. You know, we lose the Bledisloe by a point or two and some Kiwi fan gives it to him and he just turns around and goes at him. I mean, that's the kind of passion we need as a Wallabies supporter, <laughs> just, just someone to, to stand up for us. But no, one of the things that I just wanted to sort of highlight through that video too is like the, the call out to the community and that not we, we what we can do as rugby fans to help support the Wallabies through this. And again, it, we, it's why we do this podcast. We love this sport so much. We want to see the Wallabies do well. We believe that the players have the talent to be the best in the world, but they're not necessarily being supported uh, in the best systems and the best ways that RA is doing things at the moment. So what we need to do is start spreading the good, the good stories, start spreading the good word of rugby and, and telling your mates and um, getting involved, giving up your time to go on weekends and, and, you know, cook sausages and put up the posts at your local club. Like we need to get involved because as a community, the way that we act and respond to Eddie Jones in these next few years is going to shape the way and the success that these Wallabies have. Yep. Yeah. One of my big fears though is, um, have you noticed that the messaging or the, the, the taglines have changed recently that it's not about doing well at the world cup. It's about winning the world cup. And mm -hmm. look, I like that. I, I like the ambition, but I don't know we're in a very unlikely position to win it. And so what does that do to the credibility of the team and the national setup if we get trounced in the quarterfinals and, and get knocked out there? Um, what does that say about the rest of his plan moving forward if he's not able to deliver on the promise of winning the World Cup or at the very least getting to, say, the semis or the final? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a bit of high stakes marketing or communication that's going on at the moment that I'm not sure if is I'm not sure if it's worth the payoff. Rugby Australia seems to be going all in on this and I'm really hoping for the benefit of Australian rugby it comes off because if not I'm pretty concerned on how the media is going to turn against Eddie if things don't go to plan moving forward. I think we have to remember though as Wallabies fans like we have a really good 
uh, route through the World Cup this year. Like we we have we're on the better side of the draw. We've got South Africa, uh, South Africa, Scotland, Ireland, and who's the other one I'm missing? France, all on the other side of the draw, which means we won't have to play any of those teams until a semi-final or a final. So we can realistically, if we top our pool, we play Argentina in the semis uh, quarters. We then play England in the uh, semis, and then we face whoever makes it through from that pool in the final. So in terms of a good run, it's a great run for the Wallabies in this side of the, of the draw. And it, it mirrors the success that South Africa had in 2019. They had a similar run to the final as well. So, um, I don't think it's unachievable for the Wallabies to get to the final. I don't think we need to be, as you said, and I don't think we need to be hung up so much on winning the World Cup, but just doing well. Um, I, I realistically don't think we will bundle out in significant fashion in the quarterfinal. I think we will at least get to a semi. Um, and I am, in, I am, I am passionate, and I am excited to see what Eddie Jones can do in these next few months because just some of the things that he's starting to say around the changes that he's bringing in. Um, for, for those fans who haven't listened to the full interview, I do recommend you do go and listen to it because there's some really interesting things he does say in there. He addresses the Gitto Law, um, the discussions he's going to have around that with RA. He talks about some of the players that we currently have. Uh, he mentions uh, James O'Connor, again, in the mixture for, for that 10 jersey. So no one at the moment is out of contention for the Wallaby squad or the Wall- Wallabies World Cup squad at the moment. So... I think that's really exciting for everyone in Australian rugby that we're going to have a really big season of Super Rugby Pacific. Everyone's going to put their hand up and he's going to have so many options to choose from. Yep, definitely. Um, so, And the final thing I'll say is he also spoke about the nature of his Wallaroos role uh, and also the assistant coaches for the Wallabies as well. So in terms of Wallaroos, he was um, basically saying that his role is definitely not replacing Jay Dragoning as a coach. Um, it is an oversight role and making sure that the women are provided with as much of the support and high performance requirements that they require and being able to increase the quality of the program Um, as much as possible over the coming kind of months and years. Uh, And then in terms of the assistant coaches, uh, I mean, this is only his second day in third day in Australia. Um, So he is going to be meeting with the incumbent assistant coaches, particularly Laurie Fisher, Petrus Duplessis, and, um, oh, my God, mental blank. Dan McKellar, thank you. Dan McKellar. Yep. yep. So Dan McKellar over the coming days and talking about them, learning from them, hearing from them and chatting about um, options moving forward. So that was yep. a priority for cool. him. Fantastic. Well, let's, um, let's stop talking about Wallabies. Let's talk about the best team in the whole damn world, the New South Wales Waratahs. So for those who are tuning in, and have skipped the dribble at the beginning. This is our New South Wales Waratahs preview for 2023. Um, as we said at the top, and if you are tuning to this a little bit, uh, we have had our interview with Jason Gilmore come out on Monday. So do go and give that a listen. I listened to that today for the first time after editing it. It was a good listen. Well done, Ando. Great interview. Lots of insight. So for Waratahs fans, definitely get involved in that one. Um, and yeah, let's let's get into it. So We'll, um, we'll start on the 2022 season for the Waratahs, a, a marked improvement from their 2020 and 2021 seasons. They finished in sixth place. They did make the finals. 
They had eight wins along the season with six losses. Uh, they ended up playing the Chiefs in Hamilton for the quarter. Is it technically a quarterfinal? I don't know what the yep. sort of yeah, yeah. structure of Super Rugby Pacific is called. Quarterfinal. Um, weren't able to get the Chockeys there, so they did sort of bundle out in that first round. But they did what we were kind of expecting of them in 2022 by at least getting to the finals. So some key games along the way of the season. We've got down here, particularly that round, uh, I can't see, what is that, round 11? Yep, round 11. I've got a little thing here. Yeah, we get round, round 11, 11 against the Crusaders. Um, yeah, where they they beat them at home in Leichhardt Oval, which was fantastic. We were both there. Uh, and then we've also got the round 14 uh, defeat of the Highlanders in Dunedin. That was also another great performance by the Waratahs. Ando, if we um, start on, I guess, the season in general for 2022 for the Waratahs, what were your key takeaways or what what sort of jumps to mind when you sort of think of last year? Yeah, look, the the key moment within that entire season was a win over the Crusaders at Leichhardt. I mean, being there in absolutely pouring rain, you and I get just getting drenched the entire game with the hill nearly being packed and the crowd just going absolutely wild as the Waratahs brought the game home. Had an incredible start in the first half and managed to just withstand uh, an expected Crusaders comeback that never really seemed to eventuate in full force. Um, the Waratahs were absolutely brilliant. And so that was just an incredible way to kickstart a bit of buzz, a bit more buzz about the Waratahs season up to that point. Because coming in after the 2021 season, there were very few expectations on the Tars for last year. And so for them mm-hmm. to get eight wins, play sixth, and get into the quarterfinals was pretty good pretty darn good considering all that they'd been through the previous year and some of the challenges that they had and still have in their roster moving forward. Uh, so they, they still struggled um, against some of the more physical teams and against particularly, obviously, the Chiefs once they got to the quarterfinal. Um, but overall, it was a really positive season with a lot to build on moving forward. Yeah, and, and one of the other highlights I had for the season was that uh, defeat of the Highlanders in round 14. Um, we weren't sure how they would go going across into New Zealand to play a team away from home. They had gone over previously and played Moana Pacifica a few weeks before that and didn't have a great game, In really. The Moana guys nearly actually got the victory there, and so they, they did get it in the end, but it was there were question marks around it. It was a few years since they had been able to travel due to COVID. Um, it was really pleasing to see the the boys put in a really strong performance against the Highlanders. And I I think from memory, that was the game that Ned Hannigan first came back and he was just absolutely ripping in and putting in big hits left, right and center. So sort of started his uh, recall into Wallaby's duties for 2022 and 2023, which was great to see. Um, Now, if we sort of think about the key takeaways from the season, well, what do you think of Ando? Uh, Key takeaways is that we still lack the physicality to be able to play in tight against some of the bigger teams. That was something that Jason Gilmore highlighted as one of the um, areas for improvement from 2022 moving forward into this year's competition. So that's that's really significant. Also, we we don't and we didn't have strong locking stocks that were established, experienced super rugby level locks. And this season, it's even worse. Because we've had a couple of them leave. <laughs> so that, to yep. my mind, is a big takeaway that, yeah, 
we've got exciting players in a lot of positions across the park and growing experience, uh, both at an international and a super rugby level in lots of areas, but we're struggling still within locking department. Yeah, and one of the things that I sort of noticed from the Waratahs last year is that they definitely did grow into their season. Like the first few games, they played well and they played against the Aussie sides, but it was only when they uh, came up against the Kiwi sides in the second half from Super Round on that they really started to kind of gel and some of the big players started to stand up. We saw some big performances from Dylan Peach, Tane uh, Edmed, Ben Donaldson. So Will Harrison also, good season, but he did end up getting that injury in the, in the sort of the end of the season and which um, has affected his sort of ability to progress with the Australia program and, and go across and play Australia A. Uh, but it was good to see that like some of those players, like Edmed was fairly inexperienced at the beginning of the season, but he's had a really good 2022 and he's grown into that position in number 10, got confidence leading the team around, went over to Japan and um, and Fiji with Australia A and has just looked better and better every sort of minute he's getting. So looking forward to seeing what he can bring next year. Let's um, get into the squad for 2023. I might run through the forwards, and I'll get you to do the backs, Ando. So um, in the props, we've got Angus Bell, Tian Takapulu, Tetra Faulkner, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Tom Lambert, and Archer Holtz. Uh, for the hookers, we've got Dave Parecki, Mahi Vailanu, and Tolu Latu. Uh, locks, we've got Jed Holloway, Hugh Sinclair, Zane Marlott, uh, Talini Sayu, Zach Van Appen. And then in the back row, we've got Lockie Swinton, Michael Hooper, Will Harris, Ned Hannigan, Langy Gleeson, and Charlie Gamble. Now, if you had to pick out one name, doesn't have to be a new player, but one name that you're really excited to see play in 2023 for the Fords in, in the Waratahs, who, who jumps to mind? Look, for me, it's Angus Bell. Angus Bell is somebody who spent a large part of the previous last year's season injured, both for the Waratahs and for the Wallabies. And so I'm really excited to see him. He's back running, he's back training with the team as of um, recently, and there was Instagram posts today about it, actually. So I I can't wait to see what he can be doing with the full kind of pre-season under his belt. And hopefully he's got a, had a really good recovery so he can hit the ground running both uh, metaphorically and physically moving forward into a World Cup year. He is one of the rising stars, still incredibly young and still just an amazing player. So for me, Angus Bill. Yeah, I, I sort of, like when I look at the team that, the war or the forward pack that the Waratahs are going to name round one. That back row has so many options there that you don't really know, other than Michael Hooper, who is going to be that combination. Now, we've got Langy Gleason, we've got Will Harris, Lockie Swinton had a year off last year after picking up that injury, so he's going to come in firing this year. And from what we've heard, he's he's had a really big off season, so he's going to be fit. He's fitter. He's stronger. He's going to be really raring to go and to sort of put himself back into Wallaby's contention. Um, I'm really excited to see what Langy Gleeson can bring. He was a player who made his debut for the Waratahs last year. I think from memory, he got his first shot against the Reds in round four or five. Um, picked out a shoot shield, bit of a development player, but picked up some big minutes for the Waratahs later in the year and, and then went across like uh, like Edmed went across with Australia A over to Fiji and had some big minutes there. And he's really looking stronger and more sort of capable as a player the, the more minutes that he gets at this level. And I'm really excited to see if he can 
with Will Harris, that combination or the the competition between both of those players, they can push each other and really um, see how they can grow um, moving in 2023. Yep, definitely. It's an interesting one now because people have been putting big wraps on Gleeson ever since his um, Australia A and then Wallaby's involvement. But, I mean, the truth of it is that he's only got eight super rugby caps. Whereas mm. Will Harris has 28. And so I think we yeah. need to also remember that what often happens with younger players is that they have a breakout season where they hit the ground and their bodies are able to go through a short, sharp burst of intensity, but then they can struggle to match it up or back it up for the second season for the full length of an entire Super Rugby and international season. So I'm hoping that Lange can bring it in 2023, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Will Harris is the one that actually is uh, more of is, is performing at a better level than Langy Gleeson this year simply because he's a bit more experienced Jason Gilmore was talking up how he's put on a few more kilos and is carrying the weight really really well so he's got more of a frame to mm-hmm. him too and people forget that Will Harris was body good in Australia A as well yep. it's not as though Langy Gleeson was heads and shoulders above Harris they were they were pretty darn close so yep. um, for me I'm actually picking Will Harris to be someone that might get a few more minutes of Langy Gleeson at number eight for the Waratahs. Yep, definitely. Um, another player that's going to be have big involvements for the Waratahs this year is Charlie Gamble, and that's purely mm. because from some point in February he's eligible for the Wallabies, and so he's going to be putting his name up there to be selected for the World Cup later this year, or just selected for any uh, Wallaby squad. And and I mean, there's so many quality options in back row in Australia at the moment. But some of the things that he did in 2022 were just outstanding. And um, players like Fraser McWright, um, who else do we have jumps to mind? No one else at the moment, but a player like Fraser McWright, he's... (laughs) Yeah, Pete Samu as well, but I'm I'm thinking maybe that third level down. Um, Pete Samu and Michael Hooper, kind of the two at the moment, but that third spot is currently where Charlie Gamble's pushing heavily and knocking on that door. So I expect a big season from him. Bit of a controversial signing this year. Uh, Tolu Latu back for the Waratahs in 2023 and, and potentially the Wallabies. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, I'm not sold on it. Um, I generally struggle with bringing like the bad boys home and trusting in redemption stories because, I don't know, I'm cynical and it doesn't always work. <laughs> but at the same time, I love a redemption story if it works out. So it, it, I'm a bit conflicted there. So I guess for this one, we have to be trusting in the growing maturity of an older player as they progress and get to near the end of their career. Not saying that Toyo is like right at the end, but he's definitely not the spring chicken anymore. But also trusting in Darren Coleman and the Waratahs coaching staff that they would have done their due diligence and spoken with Toyo at length in terms of the expectations for him on and off the pitch. And what he does bring is just a really... Um, a really seasoned campaigning head to a team that definitely needs it because Latsu's got 59 Super Rugby caps and an additional 54 European games. He's got 21 Wallabies caps. He's one of the most experienced players in the Waratahs setup. And that experience is vital when he's got a really pretty young and inexperienced um, front three that he'll be playing amongst. There are some good players, but his experience will be really vital there. I mean, he's also one of the most experienced hookers we have in Australian rugby at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's got double the Wallabies caps um, that Parecki does and double the Super Rugby caps as well. They're pretty much equal on European involvement. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. shows how experienced Latu actually is for all of his um, challenges that he's faced off the field and the faults that he has in terms of some of the brain-dead play that he does at times. Um, he is yeah. a vastly experienced player who keeps getting picked by different uh, high-quality teams. So it demonstrates that coaches who know a lot more about the game of rugby than you and I see a lot of value within him. I really hope that he can get back to that 2019 form. Like he was a menace for opposition teams in that World Cup. Like he was running around getting pilfers, uh, just an absolute beast around the ruck. So if we can get his on-ball presence back and if he can throw a line out straight, then he's ahead of a number of hookers in Australian rugby at the moment. So that's really exciting. Now, one area of potential weakness that we've highlighted for the Waratahs this year is their depth in locks. Now, one thing that is interesting to note is that Jed Holloway played most of last year um, for the Waratahs and also for the Wallabies at six. So the fact that we've named him as a lock this year uh, is really interesting. And I wonder, I, I do wonder how many games he will end up staying as a lock. Um, should Dave Rennie have still been in charge. I think Dave Rennie preferred him as a six, as a as a back row option. And I, I will be interesting to see whether um, Eddie Jones has anything to say on that, whether he's okay to see him play at in the locks for the Waratahs and sort of fill that gap that's currently there, or he would prefer to play him at, at six in the, in the back row. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, for me, I think that Jed Holloway was always going to be uh, playing at lock for the Waratahs. When I spoke to Jason Gilmore, he gave absolutely no indication that the swap to um, the locking stocks for Holloway was something that was new. Now that Rennie was out of the picture and he could find the Waratahs mm. could finally do what they wanted to, um, he he said, "Yeah, he's he's playing lock this year." So that's that's an interesting one. Uh, it comes from the fact that we're, the team lost Jeff Cridge, Max Douglas, and Jeremy Williams, all three of them locks. Um, Cridge to Bayonne, Douglas back to Manly, and Williams over to the Western Force. So those three were handy. I don't think they a... lost Cridge to Manly. Uh, Douglas to Manly? There. You mean? Oh, Douglas. They didn't lose him to Manly. <laughs> no. they well, they let go of him. Sorry. Contract. Yeah, that's that, fair, fair enough. Yeah. Fair statement. Um, so, look, I think that he's he's there out of necessity. I mean, the team has brought in, mm. what, Zane, Marolt, and Zach Von Appen, who both have no Super Rugby international experience whatsoever. They brought in Teleni Sioux, who's been with the Chiefs for 44 Super Rugby matches. Um, he's got three international caps for Samoa, and he's played a bit over in the Japan League One as well. So he is quite experienced, but then again, he's one of those kind of like six locks hybrids kind of like Holloway is. It's not yeah. as though he's an out-and-out out lock. So yeah. all that says to me is that um, if we have Sioux or Holloway go down with a somewhat significant injury for a period of time, that that's pretty concerning. And it's a pretty big worry for our team moving forward because, I mean, the, the other players are either super inexperienced or makeshift locks. Because Hugh Sinclair can deputize there, but he's really kind of a six as well. And same with Ned Hannigan. Hannigan doesn't want to be a uh, lock, but he will play there if he has to. He'd much rather be a six or an eight. So it it just shows that that is a clear area of weakness within the the Waratahs setup um, and is something that they'll need to just be aware of and try and manage the players and the growth and experience um, moving forward throughout the season. 
No, definitely. Now, I think we've spoken about the, the piggies a little bit too long. Let's uh, move across to the backs and I'll get you to run through these ones, Ando. Brilliant. So we've got the scrum halves being Jake Gordon, Harrison Goddard, and Teddy Wilson. Fly halves, Will Harrison, Tane Edmed, Ben Donaldson, and Jack Bowen. Centres, Joey Walton, Lalakai Fiketti, Izzy Parisi, and Masisi Tuipilotu. And outside backs are Mark Nawangani Tawase, Kurtley Beale, not anymore, Dylan Peach, Nemani Nadolo, Harry Wilson, Ben Dowling, and Max Jorgensen. So by the way, we'd obviously created this, uh, I guess, Kurtley Beale technically is still in the Waratah now, squad I have put him still on the books. On our next slide of the ins and outs, the signings and departures, I've got an asterisk next to him, but I just it didn't look right on this screen to put it on there. Now, yep. there is an article that came out earlier this week by, I think, Georgina Robinson or Tom Decent, one on the Herald, G-Rob, um, G-Rob. saying that, yeah, okay, G-Rob, uh, that he the Waratahs can't let go of Beal. They also can't replace him in the squad. Correct. So. Yeah. He's technically still part of the squad. Mm-hmm. He just won't which, play. Which is which is correct because if he has if he's proved to be innocent, then he deserves the chance to still be employed, which is completely fair enough. Yep. But if he is guilty of what he's been done, then it's also correct that he should not be playing in the interim period. So yep. um, anyway. I guess looking at this team in terms of the players that I'm really, really excited to see, I am absolutely loving the fact that Will Harrison seems on track to be ready to go at the start of the season or at at least by about round two. Um, He had such a significant knee injury last season. I absolutely love him as a player. I think he's uh, it's so exciting and so energetic and brings a real spark into the attack whenever he's involved. I just love his enthusiasm. So I'm glad to see him on the road to recovery from that really serious injury. I um I think I've seen somewhere else. I don't know if it was where we got this squad list, but he's been named as a utility back this year for the Waratahs. So mm. we've mm. got him listed there as a fly half, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Um, and Ben Donaldson, for that matter, potentially play fullback. That whole Curly Bill situation that's arisen has now opened up that fullback position. And there's a bit of a hole there, In realis- realistically. Um, there's talks that they're going to try and boost Max Jorgensen out of the development squad that he's currently in and push him into the full squad. But they also can't do that with player numbers, um, squad numbers and and salary caps with still having... Uh, Kurtley Beal on the book. So that might mean that Will Harrison or Ben Donaldson does have to play fullback with Tane Edmed taking the 10 jersey. Yeah, so Will Harrison is essentially seen as a 10-15, Ben Donaldson yep. as a 10-15, and Tane Edmed as a 10-12. So yep. that means that you could realistically actually have all three of them on the field at the same time at 10, 12, and 15. So maybe Dono and Edmed at 10 and 12, and then Harrow at 15. Um, and then mm-hmm. have the other backs being maybe Lalakai Fagetti or Izzy Parisi at 13, then Noanganituase and Peach, or maybe Nadolo at 11 and 14. So it's entirely yeah. possible. But one of the things I just want to point out is I know that um, we have, uh, I'm just trying to think, how do I want to say this? No, 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 keep going, keep going. I'll come back to this point later. Keep going with what you were going to say. I don't know what I was going to say. I, I, I was listening <laughs> to what you were going to say. Um, I'll uh, I'll uh, have a look at Nemani Nadolo. Now, this is a massive signing in terms of just, I guess, Australian rugby. It's unfortunate that he isn't signing with us maybe five years ago when he was still eligible to play for the Wallabies. And um, being that he's only he played for Fiji, I think, two years ago, he still has to have that stand down and realistically he won't make it. Now, 
But a player of his ability, his experience, he's going to be massive for such a young squad in terms of relative experience of super and international caps. The ability of the players around him to learn from him and just hear his story, see, listen to hear where he's been and what he's done in, in world rugby is going to be un, like such a privilege for these players. But I do struggle to sort of fit him into a 23. Now, when you've got players like Mark Nwanganitawasi, Dylan Peach, Harry Wilson, how do you fit Nadolo into that? Do you put him on the bench? I mean, it's risky to have an out-and-out winger as one of your bench spaces. And then in saying that, like, is he going to get a whole lot of minutes for the Waratahs this year? Yeah, I think, um, look, to begin with, he's definitely above Harry Wilson, who's young and pretty untested. So in terms of the top three wing options, it's no one to say Peach and Nadolo in no particular order. You can have a really good case for any of the three of those to be starting on either wing. Okay, so I think that's really important. Um, Harry Wilson, Ben Dowling. I think Wilson's played some center. That's why I threw him in so, so Dowling and Jorgensen in particular, they're development players that I hardly see any time unless yep. it's through injury, along with Jack Bowen and Harves as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, I th- oh, by the way, one thing we'll say, Joey Walton has recently um, had surgery for a bulging disc in his back. So he may not be available be available for the trials in the first part of the season, depending upon his return from that. Um, that guy, so I'm just be aware of that. He's so injury prone. It's so it's so unfortunate for him because he has so much yeah. potential. Yep, definitely. So hopefully he can have a uh, uninjured run moving forward. But I think for the back line, if if you're going to have Nadolo on the bench, what it requires is utility on the field. So mm-hmm. you would need to have. Um, probably two of Harrison and Donaldson on the field in order to enable there to be Nadolo on the bench. Cause it means that um, yep. you can move some of those guys around to cover any potential injuries or changes that may occur. Yep. Um, and even then it's probably a risk worth taking. Um, he has the, the size of physicality and the skills that kind of similar in some ways to what we would more recently know in Super Rugby from Nairavoro, Tom Kelly Nairavoro. Um, But he has a bit more of the um, triple threat in terms of passing and kicking, which is more than what Nairavoro had. He just was an absolute wrecking ball who could um, kind of run over people and then do a little offload if he needed to right at the end. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think it's utility on the field if Nairavoro is on the bench. Nadolu. Nadolo, sorry, yeah. I meant to say Nadolo, but yes, thank you. Yeah, but uh, I guess one thing, and we are doing this now after this whole Kirtley Beal um, situation has arisen, but that has, you can see how this squad was shaping. And if you just look at Kirtley Beal being available for the Waratahs, it answers a lot of questions. He is a player that can play. I mean, you probably don't play him at 10 at Super Rugby anymore, but he could play 10. He has in the past. He could play 10, he could play 12, 13. Wing, he could really play anywhere bar probably scrum half in a back line at a pinch. Now, not having him available, we don't have a player to replace him. And so that does ask questions. And that's where those situations arise that we're now talking about of trying to fit in Nadolo. I could, you could have a player like Curtly Bill and Nadolo on the bench because bringing them on their experience and the impact that they'll bring could be really beneficial. But without Curtly Bill there, it does start to ask questions of how that backline is going to shape, particularly that bench. You That point you're going to say, you want to talk about it now or should we move on to the signings yeah, and look, departures? Yeah, look, it's just um, genuinely, it 
makes me laugh a little bit at the Alex Newsom haters that are out there within the world, because I never said that Alex Newsom was kind of one of the best players within the Waratahs, but what he was, was an experienced head who could play a number of positions across the back line and do it serviceably and do a decent job at it. And currently we need a utility backline player that could potentially fill in at fullback, maybe even fill in at wing or in one of the centers in a pinch. And Alex Newsom is that player for, was that player for the Waratahs and like still is that player. So I have no issues that he's gone. I think it's good for the development of other players um, within the squad that the opportunity has been freed up. But the amount of vitriol that that guy received for his ability to fill in and be a, um, a, a decent serviceable player across multiple positions in a super rugby back line, I always thought was way too harsh. So, I mean, what we would give to have like an Alex Newsom available now to just fill in that 15 spot until some of the other players get more experience and get more opportunities, I think we, we need to be considering. Yep, but he's gone and he won't be coming back. So Gone skis, but that's okay. Anyway, moving on. And we won't we won't talk about the whole James Ram thing. If you are interested, and I did put out a pretty long um, tweet about it on Sunday, so some valid points in there. If you do go to our socials and have a read of that and... um is you want to hear a little bit more about what's going on with that whole James Ram situation and the Waratahs and Curtly Beal and whatnot that is on our socials. So uh, let, let's go through our signings and departures. So the big ins, uh, we've got Curtly Beal listed there, but again, there's an asterisk because technically still with the squad, but not going to feature for us this year, most likely. Um, Tolu Latu, Tom Lambert, Namani Nadolo, Harrison Goddard, Talani Seu, or Seu, um, Zach yeah. Von Appen, Zane Marlott, and Max Jorgensen. Now, before we go through the departures, is there any name there, out of all the names there, who are you most excited to see play this year? Um, ex- most excited to see play would probably be Namani Nadolo. Uh, the one that I think could be the most valuable addition to the team is Telenisi. Cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing Harrison Goddard have a good crack this year at Super Rugby. He's um, had a few good seasons at Gordon. He won a premiership with... Darren Coleman, he's been over in the MLR, won a premiership with Darren Coleman there as well. Uh, so let's hope that he's that lucky little bit of luck that we need to come and win a Super Rugby title with Darren Coleman for the Waratahs. <laughs> Do you want to run through our departures since we've got your beloved Mr. Newsom up first? Yep. So the main, the man, the myth, the legend, Alex Nobby Newsom has departed to Clermont. Jeremy Williams, Jamie Roberts, Henry Robertson, Luan Smith, Jeff Cridge, Tom Horton, Max Douglas, Hugh Bockenham, Carlo Tizano, Jack Grant, James Ram, Tristan Riley, Tavita Funa, Raboni Warren Vosiaco. Now, of all those players, I know who you're going to say uh, first up. You've already spoken about him, so you can't say him again. But wh- who do you think is probably the biggest loss, either on reflection or like with the Kurtley Beal situation on reflection or or not? Yeah, with the Kurtley Beal situation on reflection, James Ram, um, and this is using mm-hmm. 2020 hindsight purely. Uh, yeah. So he has been lighting things up at Northampton over the last few weeks, and he's been playing a lot of the time at 15. So it would be really great for him to be doing that at the Waratahs this season. But for understandable decisions, um, 
particularly in terms of financial constraints, the offer that the Waratahs gave him, he chose not to accept and he made the decision to move overseas. And it seems that with other signings and the like, the Waratahs um, either didn't have or chose not to spend more on trying to keep him and no other super rugby teams were interested or he just wanted to go overseas and have the opportunity to live overseas and play rugby uh, in another country and tour Europe in the offseason. Or he just wanted to play international footy and you can't blame a bloke for doing that. Exactly. If if he goes down that path, and he's hoping he doesn't, because he's still had a lot of mates in the kind of Waratahs and Wallabies setup. Um, mm. But yeah, James Ram would be a really really handy addition to our back three right now. But yeah, like I said, go to Twitter. Like you said, go to Twitter and check out the post that I put up about that because it goes through some of the thinking and yep. decision making that might have been behind that. Yeah, one player that I found really surprising that's leaving this year is Raboni Warren Vosiatho, and he came in in twenty twenty two as a uh, like a Wallabies, he was on a Wallabies top up. He was a, a player earmarked by Dave Rennie as of nat- national interest. He came in from Japan. He was just on the cusp of being eligible to play for Japan and said, no, I want to give this Wallabies dream a shot. So he came home. He had a fairly uh, a few games last year for the Waratahs. I thought he had some good involvements, um, some good impacts off the bench. few injuries that he picked up later in the season. I thought it was really interesting that he's now not not even that he's departed New South Wales. Like he, he hasn't gone to a rival super rugby club. He hasn't gone overseas. He's going to be playing shoot shield for Parramatta. Um, he's also going to be playing shoot shield for Parramatta on a Wallabies top up. So he's still on a contract to get that money. And the Waratahs have just deemed that they don't have space for him in their squad for this year. So really interesting to see how that one plays out, whether he does have a cracking season, maybe pick up a few injuries and he can somehow make his way back into the squad later in the season um, because he's clearly still wanting to be based here and playing for the Wallabies. So um, that's an interesting one too. Another name that I will highlight that's similar to James Ram that's gone overseas and is sort of lining it up over there is Carlo Tizano. So he's over in um, Italy playing for... No, no, no. He's playing at Ealing Trailfinders in a championship in England. Oh, I thought he was playing for an Italian club. No, but he's eligible for Italy. Is, ah, is that's part. right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he's he's, he's over, over there, there with um, Jack Brown as well. Yeah, tearing it up from all reports. So good for him that he's getting over there, getting some good consistent minutes and um, putting some experience, he, getting some experience at the top level, which is great to see. All right, let's move into our most valuable players for 2023 for the Waratahs. And Endo, out of the four players we've listed, those playing along at home who aren't watching on YouTube, we have listed Angus Bell, Michael Hooper, Jed Holloway, and Will Harrison. Who do you go to first as your first pick as the most valuable player for the Waratahs this season? Uh, it's, it's hard to go past Michael Hooper, but I will, and I'm going to pick Jed Holloway. You want to expand on that? Like why? <laughs> nah, no, nah, I thought I'd just leave it open. Um, no, for me, okay. um, we, we've, we've spoken already about the locking uh, challenge that the Waratahs have for this season. And Holloway is the one of the most experienced players within the team. He's a wallaby, had a really breakout season in 2022. And so for my mind, he is going to be uh, one of the most important figures in the engine room of the Waratahs pack alongside most likely Tony Sue. So yeah, I really think that if Jed goes down injured, we're going to struggle to replace him within that lock position. Um, Michael mm-hmm. Hooper in terms of, actually no, I'll stop now and let you talk about yours and then we might <laughs> unpack a little bit more moving forward. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll go with Angus Bell and for a similar reason in that we've got we do have depth at in the front row in prop, but we don't have 
uh, the talent or the ability of backup reserves like we do Angus Bell. And if he, should he pick up a few injuries this season and, and even with his Wallabies contract, he will have to sit out a few games. We do have a few Wallabies this year that will miss some games due to that um, Wallabies expected uh, rest period, which we don't really know at this point whether that's being enforced by Eddie Jones or not. Um, but yeah, as a starting player, he's really valuable to the Waratahs. But when we look at his replacement, the players that come in, should he get injured, we just don't have that same level to match, particularly in his position in um, on the, his side of the scrum. So I think if we lose Angus Bell, we, we lose a fair bit of firepower there in the front row. Yeah, fair enough. I was going to say, in addition, I mean, like Michael Hooper is in some ways irreplaceable in terms of the experience and the leadership he provides in the quality of his play and the knowledge that he has of Super Rugby and the opposition teams. But if there's a position that we have nearly world-class depth in, in terms of provincial level rugby, it's the back row. So I'm not saying we can afford to lose him, but we're more prepared to replace a player of his caliber in the back row than any other position across the field. Yeah, so Michael Hooper's not available. Charlie Gamble comes in and they're two real world-class players. So you've got to back up, not a like-for-like, but a a fairly similar uh, level replacement in the wings there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, mate, should we move on? You didn't want to talk about Will Harrison? Nah, uh, uh, let's keep we've going. already spoken about him. He's a legend. So, um, yeah, yep. open to bits as a player. Expecting big things from him this season. So, it's going to be good. Yep. Um, so, let's let's finish things up. Let's go to our season predictions for the Waratahs in 2023. Um, we've got some le- strengths and weaknesses we've highlighted. And then we'll sort of talk about where we uh, we think or pre- predict that they might finish up in, in the season. So, uh, one of the strengths that we've said is their growing international depth. And that's just looking at their squad and some of the players that has have been picked up through the Australia A program and then into the Wallabies last year, Mark Nwanganitawasi, Lange Gleeson, uh, Will Harris, Tane Edmed, uh, these players that started the Super Rugby season fairly inexperienced in 2022, have had a big season for the Waratahs, have then been rewarded with that season by national honours in Australia A, and then some of those players then moving on into the Wallabies. So... We saw last year, particularly the last game against Wales, that Mark Nwanganitawasi had a breakout game and, and is sort of burst onto the scene and now everyone's expecting him to be the next hot big thing. So a lot of pressure on him this season to sort of uh, deliver that level of expectation into the season and and consistency across to, to sort of push for selection in the Wallabies. Yep, completely what agreed. What have um, you sort of highlighted? For me, for me, it's the opportunity that they have to build on their success of 2022. So they are a improving team in terms of the experience that you highlighted uh, that the players had received in Pacific Nations Cup, Spring Tour and the like. Uh, but also there's more opportunity now for players to be building combinations and to build upon breakout opportunities. So Dylan Peach, Mark Nwanganitawase, uh, will hopefully be able to step up even further. We'll hopefully be able to see full seasons out of Donaldson, Edmed, and Harrison um, in those kind of playmaking opportunities. We know how good Fiketti and Parisi are at 12 and 13, and that's just the backs without even mentioning the captain and Wallaby, Jake Gordon, as well. So they haven't, apart from the locking situation, they haven't lost players that were integral to the team and the way that they were playing last year. And Mm. 
Yep. So with that in mind, we've actually got, I'm not going to say excellent continuity because we still had a lot of ins and a lot of outs, but it's not as bad as it looks on paper when you consider where those players were within the kind of pecking order of various positions. So I think that's really good. And I think it gives us the opportunity to build and grow. And in 2023, we're not going to be having the, the New Zealand teams all at the end of the season. Um, it's, they're going to be interspersed. So we'll be able to develop and get more experience in playing the Kiwi teams in the different ways in which they approach the game throughout the season. So we're not as shocked and surprised by the time we get to play them in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think the sort of word you're looking for, there's a settled squad. And mm. that's one thing that the Waratahs are this year. When we look at some of the other teams, the Western Force, the Reds even, um, you could say the Reds are a bit of a settled squad, but they've lost a fair bit of talent and not really replaced it. Whereas the Waratahs have lost a little bit of talent, um, but retained the most of their starting 15 from last year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they go in 2023. Now, some of the weaknesses and one area that I've highlighted as, as a potential issue for the Wallabies is the Wallaby rest protocol. Now, under Dave Rennie, the the protocol that we sort of thought of, we had heard sort of spoken about was that the Wallabies' potential players were going to have to have two or three rests throughout the season um, or miss two or three games throughout the season, dependent on their workload, if they're like first choice Wallabies players or not. Um, and that the, another part of that rest protocol was that they couldn't play more than five games in the season. Now, we don't really know yet what Eddie Jones has in plan for this um, protocol and whether it'll be the same, whether it'll be different, how he plans to manage workloads and that sort of thing. Um, but one of the areas that I have sort of, I, I worry about is that with the amount of Wallabies players we have, and we do have a lot of fringe war Wallabies players and now with like Nwanganitawasi and uh, Gleason and, and Peach and, and those types of players, they won't have to miss big minutes, but some of the players, particularly Jed Holloway, for example, played big minutes for the Wallabies last year. Um, he's expected to play big minutes for the Waratahs this year. And we don't have, as you said before, Ando, don't have a lot of depth there. So if we miss him for two or three games throughout the season, we don't really have the depth or the a player, a like-for-like replacement to sort of come in and slot in as um, as that sort of replacement there. Yep, completely fair enough. So in terms of the final placing, um, I'm hoping for a top four, but it wouldn't surprise me if we're kind of fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth. Um, I think there's a lot of hope and expectation. And I think some of it is a little bit over eager from the supporter base. There's been somewhat serious talk about this being the year of the tar. And I'm like, uh, uh, cool your fire, like cool your powder, everybody. Just just be careful with this one. Um, there's, there's hope and there's excitement, but we're not the finished product. And I'm not sure if you can win Super Rugby Pacific with uh, a slightly inexperienced or um, inexperienced locking combination who haven't played together at this level. So yeah, look, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful of fourth, fifth, uh, but we'll see where things go with that. Yeah, I think the Waratahs have enough talent on paper um, to be able to get into at least the top four. I think we'll, they'll be pushing for that home semifinal, like Gilmore said in that interview with you, Ando. And um, I would, wouldn't be surprised to see them play the final this year. I think they showed last year with the talent they had, even though the inexperience that was there, um, that they were able to push the top teams. One of the areas that they, the consistency across the season, so they played some good games, they dropped some early games too, like that early season game against the Reds. They should have won that game, really. They had a line out on full time and 
were, were pushing hard and, and botched the line out and didn't get that chance. Um, they lost by a point or two, I think, from memory in that game. So these players that have stuck together have a whole nother year of experience. They've had a good off-season, a good pre-season. I think um, the expectation's there. The the fire is there by the fans. They're all getting excited. Back at Allianz, everyone's involved, engaged again with the Waratahs. They want to go and see them do well. And I think this is a squad that has the potential to do that. And I, I think that they can sort of ride through the season and, and get up into there. So um, top four for me and um, hopeful of making a final as well. Yep, fair call. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of our predictions for the Waratahs this year. If you are a loyal Waratahs fan like we are, do let us know what you think, where you predict the Waratahs to finish and why they're going to be in the final and, and, and take it out this year. Why? Tell us why this is the year of the tar. Mate, I'm very excited to see all those responses come flooding in. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure being here with you and very excited to see the opening game of the Waratahs kickoff at Alliance against the Brumbies. There's going to be a massive crowd there. Let's make sure that we pack out the stadium and get as many people there cheering on the Tars for what's going to be an amazing Super Rugby Pacific season. Yep, for sure. And for those fans at home, the Waratahs do play their first uh, trial of 2023 this weekend against the Brumbies in Griffith. So um, if you are in the area, do get along there and support them. Um, If you are not in that area, like most of us, I think it's going to be streamed. Not yet sure where. Maybe um, New South Wales Tar TV or something, I think it's called. um, Or Clutch TV has done it in the past, so they might be streaming again this year. But once we get some some more information or lock up the, the final details, we will let everyone know on our socials. Very keen, mate. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And everybody, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.